Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. All right, we're on to part two of talking about rock curves and AUC scores and what can go wrong. Yeah, I would say we're not even really going to talk about rock curves that much. We're going to talk about model calibration, but let's do it. All right, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So just a quick recap uh, for a little bit of context if you missed the last episode. So we were talking about rock curves, receiver operator characteristic curves. Why are they called receiver operator characteristic curves? Good go question. back and listen you to should the go other listen. episode. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a really, it's a, it's a really good story. Um, but anyway, the point was that uh, the rock curve, or what we'll also call the AUC, which is the area under the curve, which is closely related to it. It's also called a C statistic sometimes, especially if you're working in medicine. So some of you with a with a medical background or biology might be familiar with the C statistic. Same thing. Everything's got to have several names. Ugh, I know. So anyway, the point is that it's a it's a metric that helps you know how good your binary classification model is doing. And you can make generalizations to like multi-class and whatever, but the point is uh, it's a number. It's between 0.5 and 1. And if it's at 0.5 or you know close to it, let's say below 0.6, then that's basically telling you that your uh, that your algorithm is kind of just flipping a coin on every case. It doesn't really know what's going on. It's giving mm. you a bunch of predictions, but there's no particular relationship. That it's those predictions not much have better than cases. random chance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even technically, I guess your AUC can go below 0.5, but you really have to you have to try pretty hard to get it below 0.5. But it is possible. You shouldn't be trying to get it below 0.5, though. <laughs> no. Probably no, getting it higher. I would say so. I would say not. Um, and then a perfect model will give you an AUC of one. This basically never happens, but uh, a perfect model in this case means that every single prediction is getting correct. And then depending on how close it is to one, say models that are have AUCs of 0.8 or 0.9, those are usually really high quality models. And then if it's more like 0.6, 0.7, uh, you know, maybe there's like a little bit, it's a little bit lower quality. The predictions are a little bit less dependable. And the thing that's nice about a rock curve is that for any binary classifier, you have a lot of choices about exactly where you want to put the cutoff between a zero and a one, depending on what it is you're trying to do with your model. And one of the things that's nice about a rock curve is it allows you to sort of get information about all the different thresholds that you might look at at once. And what's the general trend in terms of how well it's doing across a broad spectrum of cutoffs that you might make. Right. That was a, that was a good fast summary. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I think it's also though worth talking about places where the rock curve doesn't do particularly well. And I think that this is worth talking about for a few reasons. Number one, because it starts to get into the nitty gritty of things like calibrated models, which are important. Uh, and the second thing is because the rock curve or the, the AUC, the C statistic, whatever it is you like to call it, because it's such a, it's got some really nice properties, uh, you know, it looks at all these different thresholds and it's really easy to interpret and blah, 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 blah. It can be a little bit too easy to use sometimes. And there are certain contexts in which you don't actually, you're not going to get the best model by picking the model that gives you the best AUC. And I think that that's worth talking about as well. Right, because as, as soon as you have something that's very easy to use and you use it in a lot of contexts, of course, everyone's going to just start using it everywhere and that could potentially be uh, disadvantageous. Yeah, and it's a, little, it's a little bit tricky exactly how it fails. So I think it's worth talking about. And this goes back to the idea that I just mentioned a second ago about calibrated models. 
And this is something that doesn't always get talked about a lot, but it's really important, especially depending on what you're going to be doing with the outputs of your model. So let's say that the case we're taking is we're trying to understand uh, the risk levels for something like, let's say, heart disease. For something like heart disease, although heart disease is unfortunately very uh, common across the United States, for any given person within any given, let's say, five-year time window, the chances of them developing, let's say, having a heart, heart attack or developing heart disease are relatively low. So even for the most at-risk individuals in the population, their risk of developing heart disease within a certain time window might top out at something like 30% or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you need to realize about models is that the score that you get out from a model is not necessarily the same as the probability that someone with that score is going to, let's say, develop heart disease in this case. Is that because models generalize, let's say, uh, in the example of heart disease, generalize across populations, whereas individuals may not be representative of the masses on, like, as an aggregate? That might be the case. Maybe if I could take that and phrase it slightly differently. Let's imagine that the world you live in is a world where there's a 30% chance of heart disease for everyone in the population. So it's just kind of like this flat risk that's completely uh, evenly spread across the population. Hmm, 30%, okay. as it turns out, is like actually very high, but 30% is obviously not above 50%. And so there's a lot of algorithms that let's suppose the algorithm needs to see uh, above a 50% chance of something happening before it actually you know, before it gets above, like there's some threshold between we say that this is probably not going to happen and this is going to happen. A sensible place to put that threshold is at 50%. Nobody gets above 50%. So it's never going to classify anyone as at risk for heart disease, which is obviously a problem because Mm -hmm. if you have a thousand people in your population, 300 of them are going to have heart disease and you predicted it for zero. The second thing to point out is we're assuming here that the scores that you get out when you when you score your model are actually what we call well-calibrated probabilities. And in general, this is not the case. Uh, so what I mean by a well-calibrated probability is it means that for a calibrated model, the score that you get out of the model, like this continuous number between zero and one that says basically how likely uh, a given case is to be in the positive class, that score is not necessarily the same thing as a probability. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a bunch of people who have a score of 0.9 coming out of some classification task. Let's say you have a thousand of them that you've classified with 0.9. With a well-calibrated model, what that means is that 900 of those 1,000 are going to actually be in the positive class. And this doesn't necessarily just happen straight out of the box. So very often, if you want to have your scores be interpretable as probabilities, there's usually some kind of calibration step that you need to make after the fact and kind of move things around or adjust scores so that they're actually corresponding more or less to probabilities. So well-calibrated models are not necessarily super important if all you're doing is sticking a threshold on your classifier and then just using it to sort people into zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. You know, the nuances of where to put that threshold are, you know, complicated sometimes. But the point is, let's say you put your threshold at 0.5, then 
if all you're doing is taking everybody who's above 0.5 and turning them into a one, everyone who's below 0.5 and turning them into a zero, then for any given case, it doesn't matter if it got a 0.51 or a 0.99, right? Those both look like ones. So it doesn't matter if the probabilities are exactly correct if you're putting those, or if the scores cor- correspond to probabilities because you're you know, kind of getting rid of that information when you turn those scores into zeros or ones. But right. if what you're doing is you're trying to figure out okay, of all of these people who I have classified as ones, how many of them are actually going to donate to my nonprofit or how many of them are actually going to get heart disease or how many of them are actually going to reoffend if I let them out of jail, all of these important things that we use models for these days, then you know, having a difference between a 51% probability of something happening and a 99% probability, those are really different scenarios. Mm-hmm. So if you're yeah. using, yeah, if you're using the model in, in that way to try to assess the risk of something happening, then calibration is going to be really important for you. And it's something that you want to think about carefully uh, as you're putting your model together. Okay. That makes sense. So uh, why bring this up? Is this... Right. The reason I bring this up is because if what you want is a well-calibrated model that gets Mm -hmm. probabilities correct, then the AUC is actually not the metric for you. So Uh you can have, yeah, so you can have two different models and one of them can be perfectly calibrated and it gives you the exact probabilities that you want. And one of them can give you probabilities that are not quite right, uh, you know, and it's not giving you uh, well-calibrated answers. And the one that's not quite right can actually have the higher AUC. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And so like the exact mechanisms by which this can happen can get a little bit subtle. And so we won't go into them here, although I will post a, a pretty interesting paper that itself. And then in the, in the other papers that it re- uh, references to talks about some of the, some of the exact ways that this can happen. But the main point is that if you're trying to predict risk of something happening, then uh, the AUC can actually point you toward a model that's like not going to be as good as you want it to be. And this is a big deal because for something like the example of trying to predict the risk of someone for heart disease, if you have a model with a really good AUC, but it's getting the probabilities wrong, that can be a big problem because a lot of times those probabilities are actually what you're going to use to make a decision about somebody. Uh, So if somebody has a 5% risk of heart disease, versus a 25% risk of heart disease, even though those are both sort of like zeros, so to speak, in a more coarsely grained mm-hmm. uh, binary classifier way, those can actually, that difference is a huge difference in terms of you know what your doctor is going to suggest to you or how much exercise you need to do, how much you need to watch your diet, these kinds of things. So it's really important that you get those, that you get those probabilities correct. And again, the AUC can lead you astray. Since we're ragging on AUC, let me do two quick more places where it can <laughs> where it can mess you up before we let people go back to their lives. Sounds uh, good. Yeah. So the next one is if the thing that you're trying to do with your model is understand feature importance. Like let's say you're trying to do something that's a little bit more causal or you're going to be like telling some story about the features that seem to be most important in your model. Like understanding the internal mechanisms of your model are really important to you. Then also AUC can give you the wrong example. Uh, in the paper that we'll, we'll post a paper for this on the website about uh, looking at some kind of pathological cases from heart disease, as it turns out, where they're looking at uh, risk models and showed how there are models that can come up with 
really no significant difference in the AUC between two different models, but one of them has all the correct features selected in this sort of predictive model of heart disease, and one of them misses one of the really big important features. So if you're just looking at AUC, you would say, oh, these two models look like they're about the same. Mm -hmm. It looks like you know, cholesterol is not that important because we had a perfectly good AUC in a model that didn't use cholesterol. Hmm. It turns out yeah. cholesterol is really important and you reach the wrong conclusion if you're using AUC to, um, to select your model in that case. And then the last one, this is a little bit uh, related to predicting the future risk, but if what you're doing with your model is you're trying to stratify people or cases, so you're trying to put everyone sort of on a spectrum from zero to one in terms of the risk of something happening or how likely something is to happen. And this is really similar to the idea of like calibration and trying to predict future risk. But again, if the thing that's really important to you is that the ordering of cases that you get out of your model is correct, then again, AUC is not necessarily going to uh, give you the model that always gets that ordering correct. So you're going to want to look for another metric in that case. But I still think AUC is great. I just think it's really worth it. <laughs> yeah, we just spent like, you know, 15 minutes trashing AUC. I mostly think it's really, really good. You should just know that it's a it's a classic, you know, kind of like binary classifier uh, metric. And if there's other things that you're trying to get out of your model, like probabilities or feature importances, that, you know, there be dragons. Yeah, you got to know when to use a hammer and when not to. Exactly. This is a screwdriver and, you know, binary classifiers are nails and, <laughs> and you're going to end up with something that's not quite great if you start wailing on your, on your nail with a screwdriver. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.